Hi, Julie. Hi, Lisa. How's your week going? It's going well. How is yours going? It's going well. The weather has been so beautiful this week, and I really cherish these very few weeks we have in the D.C. area where it's not too hot, not too cold. It's Goldilocks weather, and we rarely get this, especially in the spring. And I know I'm here for it, and it will be very brief as we're well, approaching <laughs> end of May. <laughs> well, very brief as in the forecast here for so we're recording on Thursday and the forecast for Saturday and Sunday are highs of actually Friday as well are highs in the mid to high 90s so we're getting a really quick transition like you said we get those like um you know week or two on either end of the seasons where we get that really like unicorn weather um but that that heat and humidity is coming so we've been you know talk starting to talk to our runners and we get this every year where um that first week where we really get some really hot weather we get so many messages from our runners saying that sucked. I felt horrible. What's wrong with me? I can't run. I couldn't even, you know, make it this distance. I felt awful. And um, we're like, we just have almost probably a cut and paste response. <laughs> it's the first week of, of heat. And just here to remind everybody, it takes several weeks of consistent exposure to heat and humidity. So we may have had a week or two or a few days here and there so far, but we have not had consistent exposure to heat. And, and not only the heat, but the humidity is really, uh, we often talk about the dew point being even more, um, more of an impact than, than the heat. So uh, the humidity, uh, it takes a few weeks um, to acclimate. And even once you acclimate, it's not like there's some magical point where you acclimate and all of a sudden you feel like you're running normal again, you're hitting your normal paces again. It just means that your body is starting to adapt and it it will, it will feel more manageable. You may not hit your paces though, again, that you might hit in, in perfect weather because our bodies are working extra hard to keep our core cool. So uh, we always tell everybody of every level. So our you know, very beginner runners to very advanced runners, slow it down, listen to your body, uh, go by time, maybe not by distance. So if you were gonna go out and run, you know, if you're, you're four miles was gonna take you 40 minutes, go out and run 40 minutes. Maybe it's not exactly four miles, but if you got that 40 minutes in, that's all your body is gonna absorb, gonna, you're gonna process. So it, it's, it, it doesn't matter. Your body's not gonna care if it was 3.7 miles or 4.0 miles. Um, hydration becomes really important right now. Uh, a lot of us I know don't like to carry water, but it, you've got to stay hydrated. Dehydration will affect your performance faster than nutrition, than a lack of nutrition or, or you know, a, a, a nutrition deficit will. So, so stay hydrated throughout the day, obviously. You just want to be drinking regularly throughout the day, but find a way to, to, to stay hydrated on your runs. If you don't like to carry water, um, you can, you can um, wear a belt. The belts have become I always hated belts because they sloshed around, the water would slosh around and the bottles never felt comfortable, but there've been so many, um, so many advances and uh, so many options that are available. So a belt is good. Uh, you can wear a hydration pack. A lot of hydration packs now are lightweight, so they're not as hot and sweaty in, in the summer. Or really you can get creative and just put a water bottle out on your route somewhere. Make sure that you have a gas station or a convenience store where you can stop into a lot of the um, Paneras and Starbucks will let you come in and fill up, fill up your water or get some water, but have a plan. Don't just head out in the heat and humidity for anything more than really a half hour, 45 minutes without, without any, any water on board and, and not only water, but this is a good time to um, practice with uh, electrolytes. And if you haven't used them before, um, finding some that work for you. I like salt stick, uh, salt stick, uh, fast shoes. Um, they're really easy to take on the run. There are salt stick caps, there are Enduralites, 
there's noon. Um, noon is something you have to put in your water, so you'd have to carry it with your water. Um, but whatever it is that you find that is uh, a supplement, uh, an electrolyte supplement, practice with it now. Um, I know if I'm going to do a long run uh, the next day and it's going to be hot the night before with dinner, I'll take salt stick. And then when I wake up in the morning, I'll take salt stick and I'll take some with me on the run. So hydration, electrolytes, and just slowing down and, and maybe shortening your runs for a little bit until you start to get to get used to that heat and humidity and going early, early, or if you have to go later, late when the sun starts to set, um, just being a little more deliberate about when you go out. Great advice. And I really like your reminder regarding pace because we talk about this a lot. We sometimes get fixated on a particular easy pace that we are quote unquote supposed to run on our runs. But the reality is, is our easy pace is dependent on weather, sleep or lack thereof, and, and multiple other factors that we've discussed before. And certainly when we are acclimating to heat and even after we've acclimated that easy pace is going to be slower, but that doesn't mean that you aren't benefiting the same from the workout. And those paces, even on the harder workouts, if your track workout for the week or your tempo workout is, let's say, marathon pace for a tempo workout, but you know it's just a little bit too hot for you to be able to hit those paces, then it's marathon goal pace effort. So run at an effort that would be similar to your marathon pace in perfect conditions. Again, still benefiting from the workout and it allows you to complete the workout and not feel like you didn't um, manage the workout appropriately. You certainly don't want to be put in a position where you go out and you run your what you perceive as your easy pace and try to stick with that pace and then realize at about you know mile nine of a 15 mile long run that you just can't sustain that pace and you have to walk. And while there's nothing wrong with walking, if you're not planning on walking and you just feel really fatigued, that can really create a lot of confidence issues in your running. And so take control of the situation, know that it's okay to slow your roll in the heat and humidity, run by effort and know you're still getting the benefits of the workout. So I just wanted to share some good news on my end. And that is that I know I've discussed on the podcast previously that uh, after I had COVID in uh, January, my heart rate throughout my Boston training was unusually high on easy runs, no matter what workout I did, whether it was six mile run or a long run, when I tried to go a little faster, when I ran easy, it did not matter. My heart rate was unusually high and it was really frustrating for me. And I knew there was nothing I could do about it. I felt fine. My breathing was fine, but my heart rate was high. And certainly when we had Dr. Kim on, uh, last month, the sports cardiologist from Emory, he uh, reassured both of us in knowing that for, for me and for our runners, that is something to be expected. It's normal. And while not ideal, you just have to wait it out if you feel okay. And I'm happy to report that about exactly four months later, because we're now in May, um, my heart rate is finally lower again and back to the ranges that I usually have when I run my easy runs or a little bit faster than that. And for the last two weeks, I've been sending you screenshots, Lisa, my heart rate has been back in the ranges that it normally has been before I got COVID in January. So I'm really excited about that relieved. I'm still going to see the sports cardiologist, the appointments not until late May, and I'm not going to cancel it, but I certainly am going into it feeling much better. And I'm really happy to see that. So others out there are having the same issue. Just know, at least for me, uh, waiting it out works. And uh, my heart rate has been consistently back down to its usual range for the last two weeks. 
Julie, talk for just a second too about waiting it out, what you did while you were waiting it out, how you ran, how you modified things. What did, what did you do? I just ran easy. I, I didn't do a lick of speed work or tempo miles at all. And when I ran Boston this year, I, I mean, it still was hard. It was a marathon, but I didn't even try to run what would normally be my goal marathon race pace. First of all, I wasn't trained to do that because I had only run easy runs and easy miles. But, um, even during the marathon, when I was running a pace of, I think my race pace ended up being somewhere between eight 30 and eight 45 for most of the run. I was, my heart rate was high the entire marathon, much higher than in the fall before I got COVID. And it just showed me that I, I really had no business doing any fast running. So all of my runs were at conversational pace leading up to Boston. And it was all easy effort. Again, I wasn't in a specific pace range, but rather it was how I felt that day. So some of my runs were like 10 minute miles, 1030. Some of my runs were nine to 930. But I don't think I had a single run, Lisa, that was below nine minute miles for any of my Boston training this year, yet my heart rate was still high for every single run. Um, wasn't fun to feel that way because while I felt fine, I, I, I hated the fact that it was so high. It worried me, but I did have comfort in knowing that um, I wasn't pushing myself. I was always at conversational pace. And of course, hearing Dr. Kim and his guidance and um, also talking to other doctors in my life, I knew I was okay, but I'm so relieved now to see that my numbers are back into um, my normal range. Me too. So I think that's just helpful. And I think it should be reassuring to anybody who's having some effects post COVID that it's a lot of it, just patience and, and waiting it out. And, and in the meantime, staying positive about it, but doing what you can and listening to your body. So um, just with time, hopefully everybody gets back to normal. So I'm glad, I'm certainly glad you are. Me too. I'm very grateful and grateful for vaccines because certainly I did not have what others had who had long haul COVID symptoms. I'm so grateful for that. And I know it could have been so much worse. And I certainly acknowledge that. So we're really excited this week to welcome to our podcast, a returning guest, Heather Knight Peck. And some of you may have heard Heather before. She was on episode 72, which we recorded in January 2021. And last week we had on Lisa V. And Lisa was the age group winner at Boston in the 55 to 59-year-old age group. And Heather, this year at Boston, was the age group in this winner in the 60 to 64-year-old age group. Uh, these two women are both amazing, and we are so excited to have Heather come back. For those who didn't catch Heather the last time, just a little bit about Heather. She is now 60 years old. She's from Darien, Connecticut. She's a mom of three, a coach, and a top master's runner. She ran her first marathon, the New York City Marathon, at age 47 in 2009 to honor her father after his sudden death while running. She finished in just under four hours and was hooked. And in 2011, just two years later, she ran a 326 Boston Marathon. Then she retired from her high level corporate job in 2012 and has spent the next decade steadily improving her running and also coaching. She won the age group at Boston 
2017 and a time of 310, 2018 and a time of 310. And note, she had the same time in 27 and 2018 in very different weather conditions. And then again in 2019 and 311. And then of course this year, we are so excited for her. She won the age group 60 to 64 in a time of 303, a course record for the 60 to 64 year old age group that was previously held by the Joan Benoit Samuelson who ran the time at age 61. Heather's all-time PR is at the Indy Monumental Marathon in 2019 where she ran three hours and she's basically PR'd at every distance between November 2019 and November 2020 from the one mile to the marathon. She's going to talk, though, about her journey to Boston this year. It, it was a really tough journey, and we really wanted to have her on to talk about it because she's had a lot of setbacks, and the way that she's handled these setbacks like a champ and has returned to be even faster, and her phenomenal performance last month at Boston really shows that. So we are really excited to turn it over to Heather and talk to her. So Lisa, I hope you have a great week. And before we forget, our Lululemon run is this Saturday, our May group run. So for those who are local to the DC area, um, come join us at 9 a.m. All levels welcome. Sounds good. Can't wait. All right. Have a great week, Lisa. You too. Bye. Bye. Heather Pack. Welcome back to the Run Farther and Faster podcast. Thank you so much for returning to share uh, what's been happening with you since we last spoke in January 2021. So first of all, how are you? I'm great. How are you guys? We're doing well. We love following you, Heather, on Instagram and um, just hearing about how you approach running as a coach and also as a runner, a master's runner, and all of your success. And we were just completely blown away by your epic performance at the Boston Marathon last month. So we immediately reached out and said, Heather, will you come back on the podcast? So here we are. Thank you so much for joining us. So we're going to kind of work backwards. And uh, can you share with our listeners uh, what happened after we last spoke in January 2021? What did your training look like then? And what happened? We spoke in January 21. Let me think about that. Okay, so I came off a really successful fall in 2020 and ran the fastest times, you know, of of my life, um, which at 58 years old was was interesting. Um, I, I I but I had been managing um, my foot from September. My, my, um, my foot was, was bothering me, uh, definitely planner. Um, and we, you know, all I can say is we managed it. I had a couple people involved. I had a podiatrist, I had my PT, um, we were, and we were managing it successfully. And I think that's kind of the danger in PF. Um, is you can go along with it. Um, and often I would go on a run and it would bother me for a mile or two and then it would sort of open itself up in, in my words, stretch it out and then it wouldn't bother me. And I ran um, the trials for miles half in November. I actually never felt it that day, which was really interesting. But anyway, um, my hamstring, which had been an injury in, in 2018, bothered me in December and I shut myself down for two weeks. 
and came back in January. So around the time I was talking to you guys and I was feeling pretty, pretty good. Nothing was really, really bothering me. If anything, I was more acutely aware of my hamstring, which I think we can all get once we've had, you know, and I call it sort of a, a cranky and, and, and not really an injury, but you know, it, it gets your attention and you, and, and you're cautious. And I went on a run in February um, and my foot had really not been bothering me. I mean, again, maybe in the first mile here or there, but it wasn't something that I was, I was more thinking about my hamstring than my foot at that point. Um, and I was on an easy run um, about the second week in February and mile three and four, my foot was still bothering me, which caught my attention because it just, that had net, that had not been happening. Um, and mile five, and we were running, you know, we were running seven thirties and I was with a group of people and I, I chat and whatever, and they noticed I got quiet. Well, well, my foot, the pain in the fifth mile started to escalate to the point where I, I was biting my lip. Um, I, I was, I, I was, it was not, I was acutely in pain. Um, and it was escalating. And um, I did stop at six. Um, and I literally, once I stopped, I couldn't walk. I crawled to my car. So I went home, I got my crutches. I went to my PT immediately. Um, and um, I was pretty sure I'd torn it because I couldn't walk. Um, but, um, you know, everybody sort of, I don't know, I, you know, I had had a cortisone injection in September. Um, the, um, you know, there was talk about uh, all kinds of things. I, 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 and I'm trying to remember, I went to the, to, to the head, foot and ankle guy at HSS. He told me he could fix me with shock treatment. They did an MRI, they did an X-ray. Um, I felt very, I felt very strongly that I was being, told on an as need no basis, which was very frustrating to me um, because it was not really explained to me that it was a bad tear. Why do you think that was? Why do you think that they were tiptoeing around you and not providing you with all the information you needed to make an informed decision? I don't really know. I don't have a lot to say about this particular doctor. I'm not quite sure. And I and so I subsequently ended up going to, to several more people and staying. Anyway, I did some shock treatment. That was what was recommended by him. And he said he could, he you know, 99% success rate was the term and, and you're going to be fine. Um, I went through the shock treatment that was every other week um, that went on, you know, for six weeks. I was in a boot and crutches for, I was in, I was on crutches for four weeks and I was in a boot for almost eight weeks during the shock treatment. That's Heather, did the really, MRI confirm that there was a tear? Yeah, yes, but it was, it was, descri it was described to me as a, as a, as a, as a, you know, small, you know, not a, you did not know the, the extent of it. Yeah, it was not a, you know, a problem. Um, as I got to the last treatment and said, I was not, I really wasn't feeling any better. And I continued to sort of, you know, um, I didn't sort of, I was articulating that I, I, I was not, there was nothing about anything that was happening that remotely felt like I was improving at all during this time. Um, and I was doing everything they told me to. I was 
embracing my inner mermaid and swimming. I was not on a bike. I was not doing anything with my foot. I was not on an elliptical. I was not nothing. Um, and, um, I, I came out of the boot and I felt about the same as the day I went in the boot. <laughs> so, um, that was really, really frustrating. At that point, um, the doctor said that I was impatient. Um, that perhaps I might need surgery. This is why I say on, on an as need no basis with no further MRI or whatever. So clearly I felt that I had not been, it had not been presented to me in, in, in a, certainly in a language that I would understand the magnitude of what had happened to my foot. Um, so I started researching some other doctors um, and um, basically I was being told time and that I had a, a pretty severe medial tear in, in, in my PF. At that point, that was Yale New Haven was telling, they were telling me that. Um, and I thought, and I had an ultrasound and I went to some guru doctor and podiatrist in New York City. And, you know, it was, um, there weren't any real answers other than time. There were a lot of sort of little, you know, you can, you know, put this sock on at night, which was disrupting my sleep, which I think is really dangerous for anybody. Um, you know, um, we can uh, acupuncture, um, we can um, ART, we can, you know, so forth and so on. And I was doing all of that. And um, nothing was nothing was happening for me, um, and I didn't understand how my foot, when I went to this guy in New York, this podiatrist, on an ultrasound, appeared to be worse and certainly not better from the films in February, and now we're in May. Okay, given that I had been in a so why was my foot not healing? Um, was very concerning to me. And I understand blood flow and tendon and ligaments and, and so forth. And I kept asking everybody, it's my age. Literally, that's what I was saying. You know, what's right? It's my age. Um, to which mo everybody said no. And I don't know if that was, I still don't know if that was, I do know that that there's very little blood flow there. And, and I was basically told whether I was 20 or whether I was 60, that was going to be what was going to happen. Um, I was trying to find anybody I could to talk to that had had chronic planners um, that, um, and I, I was, I didn't find a lot of people running at my level. Um, I didn't find a lot of really good stories. <laughs> I found people that had been injured for a very, very long time. And basically I would hear that, you know, it, it got better, you know, a year, two years later, so forth, which is not what I wanted to hear. And I feel um, acutely that I'm running out of time as it relates to, to my running um, or my competing, I should say, and, um, and what I wanna do. So I, I just wasn't willing to take those answers. So I, I, I just kept probing. And, and finally, um, I connected with a woman who told me about a doctor in St. Louis. Um, I had been told by the guy at Yale New Haven that I could try PRP, but that there wasn't, you know, a lot of data that supported success in that. There's a lot of data that supports success in PRP in 
knee in rotator cuff, you know, et cetera. Again, I'm going to state, I'm not a doctor. This is my story. So I don't know, but that's, that's the feedback I got. Um, and I think there's not a lot of data because I don't know that that many people have had it. I think there's a lot more of what I went through in treatment and not on um, what I'm about to say. Um, so I was actually going to see a woman at Yale New Haven who did PRP. Um, and I really liked her. I, I never saw her, but I really, I really liked her. I did some Zoom calls with her. I liked what she had to say. She did have some success rate, um, but she, she was very honest with me that I would need probably a booster or two. So we were talking about time again, back into the boot. Um, and um, at the, subsequently the same week, I heard about this guy in St. Louis um, that was injecting PRP, highly concentrated stem cell, bone marrow and fat. And she, so I contacted this doctor back who's you know here at Yale New Haven. And she said she did do stem cell, but she would do that as a booster she did not do it at the same time. So I talked, I did some research. Um, I talked to the guy in St. Louis. Um, there are five guys in North America that are doing this that I'm aware of. Um, I talked to three of them. Um, there's a guy in Montana that actually trained most of them. Um, and when I found out what Dr. Bayes does um, and what his success rate had been, I, I couldn't get there fast. I was trying to get on a plane that afternoon. Um, and um, I did get on a plane within seven days. Um, and I went out there and he, he injected my foot. Um, the, the fat, the, the stem cell bone marrow is all, and PRP is all taken from me um, out of my hip. Um, and um, he fixed my foot. Wow. What's my foot was fixed. What, what's the name of the doctor in St. Louis? Dr. Matt Bays. Okay, so that must have been really painful. He took um, cells out of your hip Yep. and then injected it into your foot. And mm -hmm. how painful was this procedure? Um, it, it's actually not, the, the, the extraction out of my hip was almost more painful or it's, it was a lot of pressure for, mm -hmm. for lack of a better term that was really uncomfortable. Um, but you know, he had, I had gas, so I, uh, nitrous, um, and, um, it, it wasn't, it wasn't terrible. Um, and his ultrasound guidance, you know, he was looking at, you know, my Achilles and, and some, you know, different, you know, pieces as well. And he, you know, he injected around, you know, not just the planner, um, but he really sort of sealed me up. And the, the way I look at the stem cell is, it's, you know, these cells are going in and they're, and they're, and they're, and they're rejuvenating um, and they're, and they're healing where healing has a hard time taking place. I'm, I'm just trying to speak in, in layman terms. No, so it, it makes, it makes perfect so, sense because so they're, they're yeah. going in and they're, they're like, they're like marching in and they're, and they're, and they're doing their job. And what I believe is that an early injection would have been terribly helpful for me. But, but what I believe is that they're in there doing their job and they're still in there doing their job. So I think there's this rejuvenation piece that is really um, beneficial um, 
you know, to certain, um, to certain injuries for sure. But, you know, I've also heard stories about, um, you know, stem cells, you know, with, with kidney disease. And I, now I've heard all kinds of just like amazing stories, but um, I have sent five of my athletes out on a plane to Dr. Bayes um, and three of them were just out there recently. So they're, they're in recovery, um, but they're doing really well. One of them was not that far after me, was, was in the fall. Um, she's running pain-free for the first time in five years. Wow. It's really too bad that there are so few physicians out there that are able to do this method because we've heard so much over the years about the effectiveness of PRP, but particularly with someone who's able to also use the fat and do what Dr. Bay specifically does. It sounds like it's, it's just that extra layer that is sometimes lacking in an area that lacks blood flow and therefore mm -hmm. can't heal as quickly. Mm -hmm. So, it's so really the fat, the fat goes in and the fat actually acts as a plaster. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and then you've got the PRP and you've got the stem cell. So, you know, if you really think about it, it makes a lot of sense, you know, so the minute I heard about it and, you know, there's, um, listen, I had nothing to lose and a lot to gain. And, um, Heather, how quickly did you feel that it worked? Like, did you, you know, what was the recovery process? And then how did you know, like, this was different than every other time? How long did that take? to? When I came out? out of the boot, I was only in a boot for a couple of, I, I can't remember, I mean, three to five days from that, certainly not, you know, another eight weeks or whatever. Um, and when I came out, I, I definitely noticed improvement, not, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to kid and say a lot or that I was like, oh, I'm fixed, but I was hopeful for the first time in a, like months. I mean, you know, when all said and done, I didn't run for seven months. So talk was, to us a little bit about I was that. In, talk, I talk. was injured for over a year with this. I mean, at times I was running, but I was running in pain. And I, I when I came out of that boot, so, you know, I mean, he injected me on the 3rd of June. So in the second week of June, I had hope for the first time in a really long time. And that in and of itself was powerful. By the end of June, I was moving around pain-free. I was, you know, I was, I was swimming. I was on an elliptigo. I was, I was, you know, so I was, I was being able to be more active than I'd been. And I was able, and I was pain-free and I was walking. Um, and when I started run walking, I, I it didn't hurt. And let's then I went through some, bit, Heather, yep. just let's, I want to back up just a little bit. And I want to, you talked about how long you were off. Tell us what is it like mentally um, being, what was it like mentally being off You're you know, you're a coach, you coach athletes and you coach them in person. And um, you know, you're somebody who's used to being active and you're telling us, you know, really the only thing you could do was swimming at the time. How, how, what was it like those, all those months that you were off um, mentally, how did you get through that? Um, you know, injury is isolating. First of all, we take ourselves out. I'm not quite sure why. And I was very intentional to put myself back in to the mix. Um, you know, we can't run, so we don't go run. I, I, and I got on a bike and I went out and I met, you know, not just my athletes, my running friends, but I just, I, I biked alongside. Um, and um, I, I got a couple to swim with me and um, 
I just, I stayed engaged. I, I showed up at every race. I, you know, I was a race director at the McCurdy Micro Marathon, but, you know, I was, you know, as races were starting to come back, I got very involved in being a part of the support of that. Um, and just, um, just not I, I isolating myself. I, I had, I had moments that were really dark. I'm not going to, I'm not going to suggest that I didn't, um, but I just made a very conscious decision that um, I was going to come back and I was going to um, stay engaged. Um, and so, um, but I, it, it, it gets rockier, the story. So, you know, but, but at that point, I just leaned into my athletes and I just, their success was so inspiring to me. Um, it always has been, but it was more so because I felt it acutely. I, I just felt it differently. I felt like it was it 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 was their success, but somehow it became mine a little bit um, because I didn't have anything else. And um, you know, I love being a cheerleader and I love being a coach, and I'm really good at it. But I missed desperately being an athlete. I think that's an important um, uh, message too. The it is, I think, the tendency for a lot of runners who are injured to say, "Forget it, I'm out." Of, like you know, to isolate themselves because they don't want to see other runners running. It reminds them they're not running. Um, I think that's hard. So, but I think that that's such an important message. And we saw it with Julie when Julie was injured back in 2019, and she still came up to Boston to watch the. Yeah. I think that's hard for a lot of people to say, "I can't run Boston, but I'm going to come watch it." I think that's really hard. But I think Julie would agree that you know, it was a really uh, fulfilling and rewarding uh, experience. And I think that's, I think that's really hard for people to do, but I think hearing that message that if you put yourself out there and you, you resist that isolation, that, that it can help, um, it can help you find, like you said, find, uh, find, uh, you know, fulfillment through, through what you're seeing, you know, other people achieve and helping. I wrote, helping, I, I wrote a piece on, on Instagram um, in, in October, Julie, I went in October when I couldn't run. And I wrote a letter, Dear Boston. Um, and um, I, was, I was so excited that Boston was back on the heels of COVID and that I had you know, this group of athletes running and that the race was just, the race was going to go on a little bit. You know, you know we, we all were grieving. Um, and certainly I was grieving, you know, in, in injury as well as in COVID. And it just, it felt a little bit like rebirth and, um, and that how life goes on. And, um, I celebrated that, um, and I ended it with, you know, um, I'll see you in, in the spring where we're meant to be. <laughs> um, and I, I, I often joke in my own mind about the, the fake fall, Boston. um, but, um, it, it, it was hard, you know, it, you have a streak, you, you go, you know, you run it every, you know, but, but again, I, I don't think I wouldn't, I can't, I, 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 I can't, I kind of can't imagine not showing up. Um, but um, I think if we don't, you know, it's not only isolating, I mean, injury hurts emotionally and physically. So, you know, there's, there's that piece and, um, you know, um, and there's, you know, you get, you get sort of into this, whoa, me, um, and, you know, I, 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 I do everything I'm supposed to do, um, but injury is part of the journey. We try to minimize it, 
Um, but I try to I try to sort of recognize or acknowledge it. Um, and um, I think if you can do that, it it helps maybe a little bit. I also have some really good people around me that 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 helped, you know, as well. But um, you're, you're yeah. clearly a very resilient, but also a very resourceful person and injury takes a lot of self-advocacy. And you mentioned how you were able to find Dr. Bayes and you came out of that feeling like you beat this. And then you mentioned though, that the story continued. So what happened after you felt like you were able to start running again? How did that go for you? It didn't go well. Um, it went, it went, it went fine for a while. Um, in, in just in the sense that I went through the walk run, it went fine in the sense that my foot was fine. Um, it went fine in the sense that I was doing some easy running. Um, and, but the minute I started to try to turn my legs over, um, I was, I was having trouble, um, the first couple of workouts I did were very short, you know, sort of 30 seconds, one minute, you know, kind of thing. And, and they were okay. But the next day I was a mess. So I thought I, I, initially, I thought I wasn't recovering. I thought something was happening with my recovery. Um, I was very happy that I was, you know, pain-free, um, but I couldn't get my legs to turn over. And I, I went through a period again, searching and not finding anybody who could explain to me, you know, what was going on with me. Um, and um, it, it, the nut, the nutshell is my, my, I was in a boot and crutches too long, not moving is what we believe is what my PT and my, you know, chiropractor um, and, and team and, and Matt Bay stayed involved as well. I have a great group of people and, and they all talk to each other and my coach and everybody was sort of, you know, trying, we, we pivoted a lot. We tried all kinds of different things in the work I was doing, um, in the treatment I was getting, um, you know, we were, we were needling, we were um, grasping, you know, we were just doing different things and I just couldn't get my legs. I couldn't explain it other than I felt incredibly clunky, like my chain was off and it was on my left side. So it was the same size side as the foot, but there was nothing wrong with the foot. And um, what ultimately I, I, I believe is I was in a boot and crutches for too long. This is what we think. And there was some atrophy in my calf, um, my IT band and my, and, my, and my quad actually got stuck. They got attached. Um, they are, I mean, they do, you know, attach in place, but they, 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 they were stuck. They had to get unstuck. Um, and my abductors, and it just took a lot of work for two months to just get everything moving again. It was, um, you know, there was, as I said, there was atrophy. There was, you know, there was, there were, there were pieces that were stuck. There were pieces that weren't moving right. My, you know, my hip flexors were, you know, all tight and not doing what they were supposed to be doing. And um, I, I, it took a team of, you know, four people, you know, working on me every week. Um, and, you know, and, and my coach, you know, really, you know, we, we, we dropped out of any kind of marathon training 
on during this period in January and February, just sort of put Boston on the back table and just, you know, I went into some very short, very um, aggressive, if you will, some, you know, I mean, some, some high, high top speed kind of work to try and get, you know, the legs moving. Um, and, you know, ultimately all of these things started to come together. And in March, I started to feel like I could run. Um, and I had, a, I had a run on the course in my, I had a run on the course in February that was hor horrible. I had days in January and February where I couldn't run at 1030 pace. Couldn't, could, couldn't do it. And this is um, all leading up to, this is like a month before Boston. This is all leading up to Boston. This is all right? leading up to Boston. So in, and then in, in March, I went up, um, I ran, I, I ran with Tracksmith on the 20th of March and we came from Framingham in. Um, they have a wonderful picture of me. I, with, with, with my hands in the air and I'm like, I, I was so joyful. It was a decent run. It was okay. And I hadn't had an okay run in well over a year. Um, and um, the next week I had a really good midweek session. And the following weekend, I had the best long workout that I've ever had in my life. Three weeks out from Boston. So you and go so, from you go from like the bottom where you had been and then mediocre to the best in the course of like a week. So something it, clicked, it, it seems it, like something it, just clicked it, all it your popped. work. It it popped. It popped. Um, I didn't think I had enough time under my legs. I certainly didn't have, you know, 320 miles, you know, like the standard of what I would have. I didn't have the volume on my legs that I would normally have. Um, but um, we, you know, we went another week and, um, I, I made the decision that I, there was no reason for me not to go to Boston. Um, but I definitely was sort of thinking, this is really good. I'm so happy. And the fall is going to be amazing. And I wasn't really thinking about Boston that much other than I was excited that I was going to be there. And I felt like I could run, uh, a, a, a strong run um so that's sort of how I went into Boston yeah and how did how did you come up with your you know your pacing plan your approach when you're kind of you know a few weeks out you're realizing okay I feel good I don't know what my training is gonna you know how what it's gonna yield because I I'm, I'm you know you've never done that type of training cycle before where like you said it wasn't the ideal training cycle how do you come up with a with a race strategy um heading into heading into Boston um, the, 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 the strategy was, we didn't, we didn't really know, uh, well, James knew more than I did. I, I, I think, or maybe he didn't, I don't know I, the way the story goes. I, he told me three to four weeks out that I could run, uh, that I could run a 310, which was my PR on the course. Um, and I, I, I just didn't see that given the, you know, sort of three weeks around and even that long run in Boston, I just sort of didn't see that. I thought that was best case scenario. I didn't disagree. Like, I didn't think he was crazy, but I thought that that was if the stars align, all right, I'll run a 310. Um, and um, I had a large group of athletes going to Boston. So I sat and was working on race plans for them. 
um, earlier than I normally do. So I wrote them to fitness versus weather and sort of set myself up so that, you know, I could be an athlete while I was in Boston. And <clears throat> in doing that um, early, um, I got sort of excited and decided to write my own. Um, so, because I obviously didn't have my plan for my coach yet. And so I sat down and I looked at my work and the same way I look at my athletes and I wrote my plan and James had said to me the week before, so now, so, so, so maybe two and a half weeks out, he said, you're in 305 fitness and I didn't believe him. So I sat down and I wrote my plan and it, it wrote at 304. And I was, so any, I, didn't, I didn't tell him that. I just, I texted him and said, I, I wrote my own plan last night. And he said, what is it? He, he said, do you send it to me? And I said, nah, I'll wait for yours. I'd like to see yours. <laughs> and um, anyway, so he sat down the next day and wrote it, which, which was early for him. And he wrote me to 302. So what we laughed. You I, I subsequently sent him my 304 and, and how we'd come about it. And they really weren't far off, you know, in sort of how they'd been built. How did you, how did you go from doubting your ability to do a 310 and then suddenly write your race plan and predict very accurately a 304? What was the change? Was it mental or was it that final workout that you had earlier? No, it was really looking at the war, the, you know, the work in those, you know, three or two weeks at that point. Um, when I really sat and looked at it, you know, and I laughed because I'm thinking, okay, he said 305 and he, you know, he said 3010. And when he said that, you know, three, he said, you're faster than that. And, and I just, anyway, long story short, that's just what, that's what the, that's what it showed. And um, the beauty of that is that it gave me a very strong belief. Um, and, um, to the point where I really didn't even question, I didn't even question it, um, where, you know, I have in the past. Um, and sometimes, you know, being a coach is, you know, a little dangerous and, you know, we lose some, I don't know, we can, we can try and, you know, I don't know, take care of ourselves. And, and it's, I can't say enough that I think people should get a coach and, free themselves up to be an athlete and to, you know, and to have somebody objectively look at you and, and so forth. But anyway, it, it was a wonderful sort of sense of belief to, to go in um, with the two of us having sort of landed there separately. So his, his opening in the plan, his opening note was, I've looked at this, you know, a thousand different ways and I, 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 can't, I, I can't get to 305. Um, so, um, anyway, it was interesting. So, so what was the plan? Were you, was your plan to go out conservatively and yep. attempt? Okay. So take us through your Boston and share with us how you did it and how you felt on the course after going through what you went through the entire year before. So the fear I had, and when he and I talked over the weekend leading into Monday, was that I was running, I was running a little bit. I was, I wasn't, I was running, I was running everything too fast. I was so 
it was almost a dopamine experience for lack of a bet. I was, what happened in those three, it's still happening right now. I, I am so filled with gratitude and joy that I, I'm not running, I'm dancing when I'm out there. I'm, I'm just, and I said to him on Saturday, you're going to have to put a choke collar on me. I'm going to make a rookie mistake. I'm going to blow up. I'm going to run too fast to Wellesley. I'm going to do all those things because I can't help it because I'm just so happy to be running. And, you know, he assured me that I was smarter than that and that I wouldn't do that and, 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 and so forth. And I was strangely calm when I got to Hopkinton. Strangely calm. And I wasn't worried. I was confident. I was a, I was a bit fearless when I started out. I wasn't really looking at my watch. It was a beautiful day. It was a little windy, a little hot, but you know, I mean, for Boston, <laughs> it was pretty nice. Um, and, um, you know, I started out seven, I don't know, 705, 708, something like that, which was exactly what I intended to do. Um, and, you know, mile two, mile three, you drop about 300 feet in the first, you know, three to four miles um, to, to come through, um, you know, in the high 650s. Um, and I did that through the first 5K. Um, and, um, you know, the second 5k, um, I, I felt really good and, oh boy, should you feel good at the 10k in a marathon? So I did acknowledge that <laughs> this is, this is exactly how you should feel. And that doesn't give you permission to, um, to, uh, take the speed limits off. Um, I felt, um, I looked at my watch it's, it's somewhere around the 10k. And my, my mind shifted from, I was acutely aware of Joni's record. Um, and um, I had sort of put it off for next year, given the year I'd had. Um, but I was acutely aware of, you know, what that time was and, and, and that that record was there. Um, what, was, what was that time? 3.04. And okay. I also had, there was a lot of chatter about a woman from Japan um, and that was going to be running um, and holds the world record for the division. Um, and um, I was not thinking about that. I don't know her, you know, whatever. I just, that, that leading in, you know, those, those were, and I just wanted to, I just wanted to run really, really well and to keep building towards the fall. Um, and, but I looked at my watch at the 10 K and I just made some mental decision that I was going to like, why not? Maybe today, maybe it's not next year. Um, and, um, in doing that, I, I sort of put my head down and, and, and ran. And I say put my head down because the, the one regret I have is Boston is the most extraordinary experience um, to me. Um, there's nothing like it. And I missed that experience by putting my head down. Um, and I raced. Um, and um, it turned out okay. 
it turned out more than okay, right? <laughs> so, so I think it's interesting. Your, 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 you know, you had uh, estimated three hundred two. Your coach had estimated three hundred four. And what was your finish time? Three hundred three. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, um, it was, um, <clears throat> it was a solid run. It, 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 it really excites me again for what is you know, so often we as masters runners and, and older, you know, talk about, you know, what I talk, I, I just believe that there's so much in front and I believe there are different ways to look at, um, to look at this because you won't continue to run faster and faster for the rest of your life. But, um, but there are ways that we can continue to, to find our best. And I just believe that that is in front of me, regardless of my ridiculous age. <laughs> um, and, um, and that excites me. Um, and I felt good on this run. I, you know, there's, there's a couple of mistakes I made, um, and, um, but there's a lot I did right. Um, and so I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to what's down the road. So let's talk about that. What, what did you do right? And what mistakes do you feel you made along your, what we perceive to be a perfect race? What was it about the race that you felt you did right? And what was it that you felt you could have done better? Um, fueling and nutrition um, was right. Um, and um, my preparation was right. Um, you know, control your controllables. Um, I, I have a routine, um, that works really well for me. Um, and, and I, I executed that, um, really well, even having 24 athletes running, racing Boston, um, I was able to, to structure it in a way where I was able to remove myself and, 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 and take care of myself, um, at the same time that I took care of them, um, cause many of them had an extraordinary day, um, I, um, I, I ran controlled into the hills. Um, I, I ran effort. I ran, you know, it's undulating and, um, it's, you know, while we talk about it being net downhill and, and, and the 16 miles leading into the Newton Hills, um, it's rolling. Um, and, um, I, I ran, I ran effort really beautifully. I mean, when I look at the splits, um, and um, I felt strong in the hills. Um, again, I would attribute, you know, the work um, that I did leading in the strength work. Um, you know, certainly all the years of training, but but I come back to again the fueling and the nutrition um, that I felt so strong through the hills. Um, I I got concerned about the wind. Um, actually, in I. I felt it in Wellesley, certainly coming over 95, but that's the windiest part of the course anyway. So I, I, didn't, I didn't get too concerned about it, but what was interesting to me was in the downhills um, and I was able to push back into the 640s on the downhills, which is exactly what I wanted to do. Um, <clears throat> I became acutely aware of the wind and that surprised me because you're, you're protected and tucked in in Newton. You're winding and you're, you know, you're in the down in the hills. Um, and I thought, hmm, that's really interesting. <laughs> so, and we knew weather forecast. So I, you know, I mean, I knew that the wind was supposed to pick up, but obviously at that point I became aware that the wind was picking up. 
Um, and the sun was incredibly powerful that day. The course, you know, you're running west-east, the sun is east-west, it pounds on you, there's no protection. Um, you know, I, I advise people to run in a visor. I had a visor on, thank God. So, I mean, I just, you know, I had, you know, the right shoe. I wore the right, I wore buns for the first time. I felt badass. Um, and, um, you know, so, um, I dressed the part on um, embarrassingly. So, um, and, um, came over Boston college. I run to my girls. They all went to school there, different schools. Um, and, um, came on to beacon and the wind at that point really um um and i so i guess what i did wrong was i forgot my last gel didn't even realize it until i got into the shower and pulled my bra off um and um one fell out of the bra um and i just think i was so focused at that point um but that definitely was a mistake um i had um I, I need to be more willing. I get close to the edge. I need to step onto it and I need to figure out when to do that. And I know that that's on beacon and I just continue to not be, I continue to be gun shy to do that. I got closer this time. I'm, I'm, I'm not unhappy with, with my splits. But the reality is in those five miles, I got into the 650s twice and I was, you know, 703, 705, you know, what it's, you know, in there in a, in a couple, in, you know, the other three miles on. And I was, it felt a little like threshold and I got scared. I didn't want to blow up on Beacon. There's a lot of casualties on the right and the left of the road there. Um, I didn't want to be one of them. I, at that point, I knew I had a sub 304. I just had to be smart. Um, and, um, but I want to be a little bit more willing to, to get on the edge. Um, and I want to work on that. And I think I need to work on, you know, my threshold effort and extending it and, and running, you know, on tired legs. Um, you know, I think I do a good job. I need to do a better job. Sounds like you did a great job to us, but we understand we always want to be better. So I have two questions for you because it just really sounds like a nearly perfect race. The first is, what shoes did you wear, particularly after going through what you went through with the PF? Did you change your racing shoes since the last time you ran Boston? And my second question is, what was your fueling? So my fueling, okay, shoes is your first question. Shoes was, um, I wore the Vaporflies. I went to Boston with two pairs of race shoes, which is unusual for me. I don't like to leave like decisions like that at, at the end, but I was training back and forth in three pairs of shoes. Um, and I, I can't tell you that any one of them would have been, I, it really was a, I, I'm, I love the Asics Metaspeed Sky. I love that shoe. I just did my first workout back from Boston on Tuesday in that shoe. And I love that shoe. I also really like the Adidas Adios Pro too. Um, and so it was just, I don't know. Um, I don't know whether again, it was back to that sort of, I have a, I have a, a, a ritual if you will. And, and, and um, 
my family, you know, two of my girls live in Boston. My sister was in Boston for years. Um, and I've always gone out of the city into a hotel the night before. Um, I just, I have a routine of, of what I do. And um, I don't know whether the vapor flies were part of that. And I hadn't raced, I hadn't raced Boston in three years. I hadn't raced in, you know, a year and a half. It had been a long time. And um, I think I just sort of, to some degree, Held, held deeply onto the routine of what I knew and remembered. And that may be part of it because I, 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 I'm really liking, you know, three pairs of shoes right now. <laughs> so anyway, that's what I raced in. Um, and um, I did wear buns, as I said, for the first time. And I asked every stranger um, that I could possibly find um, once I crossed the finish line, if I could have their pants, please. <laughs> um, because I was not racing anymore and I need to cover, I need to cover that shit up. Um, anyway, um, nobody gave me their pants. Um, so it was a long time until I found my husband, um, <laughs> who had sweatpants, um, and fueling. I carb loaded. I really, I, I actually, I, I don't want to say brilliantly, but I, 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 I carb loaded 400 grams for three days on for somebody who doesn't eat dairy, gluten, or sugar, um, it, it doesn't touch pizza, pizza or pasta or you know what bread or whatever. Um, that was really hard. Um, and I always thought I did a decent job. I ate a lot of sweet potatoes, like a trough of sweet potatoes in days gone by. And I still did that, but um, I added a lot more into the mix. Um, I drank quite a bit of that carb loading because I couldn't eat it all. The night before, uh, it, you know, in my hotel, I had this huge um, um, Tupperware of uh, gluten-free rice and my sweet potatoes and, and my you can shake. And I'm just, I was looking at all of it and I just was like, oh, <laughs> um, and, um, but I got it all in. And um, in Hopkinton, I, I literally did think this is either going to be really good or this is going to be really bad. And I'm going to be in a porta potty the entire way to Boston. Um, and I wasn't sure because I'd never done it. And I asked whether I should practice it. And I was told I shouldn't. Um, I don't really have, um, you know, GI issues, tap on wood. Um, and, um, you know, I, I have been practicing for, you know, two years now on preloading with you can, you know, heavy. And I go to bed with a, you know, chocolate shake. And I really believe that that works really well for me. Um, I, I would tell you that most of my athletes are doing it as well. Um, but I was able, you know, because, because I like that and use that so much and because I'm so practiced in it, I was able to have that as part of my mix. Um, so I was, you know, luckily guided to drink a lot of that carb loading um, and, and that worked out for me. And, you know, I, I preloaded again with, with UCAN um, the morning of the race um, and um, it, that, that worked, that worked really, really well. That worked really, really well. We're so happy to hear that. It's um, definitely something we push with our runners and the dietitians we work with align with that. And sometimes we get pushed back from people who say things like, you know, you really should try fat adaptation or uh, carb loading is so uh, 2000s, but uh, runners need carbs. And when you're racing hard and you're racing fast, you need gas in your tank and you need to have that gas 
early on. And you need to have that fuel early on so that your body's able to absorb the carbs. So to that end, can you share uh, what you did when you started the race in terms of your carb loading? And aside from your, you mentioning you forgot a gel toward the end, it sounds like you were very effective in your carb loading I, and fueling during the race as well. Yeah. It, you know, I've worked again. We need to train our gut. And I have so many athletes, Julie, that yeah, I have a guy who started with me this year and he's in his fifties and he's fast as fuck. He's really a good athlete. He's really a good athlete. I mean, you know, he's, he's a sub 80 hat. He's a really good athlete. He, he doesn't eat before he runs. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is going to be life-changing. This is all we have to do. And yeah. <laughs> um, but um, I don't know why people don't understand that I mean, you wouldn't, would you, would you, I mean, would you, would you not put gas in your car? Would you not change your oil? I, I, I you know, I talk to the kids that way. It's, it's really that simple. You're, you're not going to get to your mailbox if you don't. So why would you not, um, you know, our, you know, carbohydrates and glycogen. I mean, the wall is not anything other than fuel. And you, you have to manage it and you have to manage it early on um, and the days leading in. And, you know, now we're coming into summer running. So I'm talking about how to, you know, preload, you know, with electrolytes and, you know, so it's, you know, it's, it's hydration, it's electrolytes, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's nutrition, it's carbohydrate, but, you know, carbohydrate is glycogen, which is energy to muscle. And if you don't give the fuel to the muscle, the muscle can't perform. It's really that simple. Exactly. It's, <laughs> so what did you do during the race for your fueling? So I did, um, I, 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 my preload routine is, is gluten-free oatmeal, um, almond butter. Um, my dietitian has got me eating, but I hate bananas. Um, but I have learned to get a half a banana on um, because that was better than the strawberry. I mean, I've worked really hard at this. It, it didn't come easy. Um, I, I put a scoop of unflavored super starch energy as, as it's now called, you can into my oatmeal. Um, and I do a two scoops um, as, as my drink 30 to you know, 40 minutes. I, I do it 30 minutes. You know, I advise you know, with my athletes 30 to 40 minutes. Um, I'm working on gelling earlier than later and it's still a work in progress but i'm i'm trying to get in you know closer to 25 to 30 minutes but again working effort so on a course like boston you need to be really careful in when you are ingesting fuel um, so, you know, again, giving yourself some grace, I, you know, the body doesn't understand miles, so I don't even know where that came from. And, you know, we all run differently. Um, you know, the pros are, are, are taking fuel in every, you know, roughly every 5k. So, you know, you're talking about, you know, 15, 18 minutes. Um, so I think we could all do maybe a better job. Um, but you, you know, again, it takes practice. Um, I think you have to give yourself some grace. Sometimes you can't get the whole thing in. Sometimes it takes time. Um, you know, I don't, I don't 
take it down in, in one, I, I bite. It's usually in thirds for me to get it in. Um, and, um, you know, I'm working on 25 versus 30 minutes. Um, I think, you know, again, earlier um, is better. And the same reason I'm sort of, I've been practicing and I now can ingest, you know, that carbohydrate drink 30 minutes instead of 45 minutes. Um, I know some people gel 15 minutes before they start running. Um, you know, I think everybody's different. I think you just have to keep practicing. Um, but I think the reality is that we need, we need, I mean, I think we probably need to get a minimum of two and, and, and probably two and a half to three, um, an hour. So how many calories or gels do you think you took in during your race? I know that I took in five. Okay. So that's at least, um, 500 calories plus any drink electrolyte. Yep. drink. Okay. Yep. So, and do you mind sharing, um, you're a small person. So this is, I'm a, I'm, I'm a hundred, I'm 108 to 110 pounds. Okay. I am not a big person. I take in a lot of calories. And as I said, I just told you what I ate and drank before as well, which is, you know, I mean, I don't, I didn't add calories. I added carbs. And yeah. I, that's how I measured, you know, what I was doing. And, um, you know, the morning of, you know, I got in over 150, you know, carbohydrates. Um, and as I said, 400, I, 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 I think it was 375 the first day. Cause I had a sort of a dinner thing that messed me up, but I did 400 and I did 425 on Sunday. So I'm laughing. We, we, we weigh about the same and, and I use the same cal calculator. You did clearly where, you know, seven to eight grams of carbs per kilogram of, um, body weight. So, um, you know, it ended up for me being similar to you and it wasn't as hard as it sounds. It's not as daunting. And you, you actually feel really good when you get to the start line, you don't feel depleted at all. You feel, you feel really good. And, and you feel good during the race as well, Julie, it's just, and, and staying on, um, and staying on top of it. That's where a lot of people go wrong. They start too late. Um, so you, you, you need to start early. And I, I, I really, you know, I believe I just forgot, but clearly that's a noted mistake I made, but, um, I do know that in 2019, I consciously didn't take my last gel that I should have based on just time. Cause I was, I was, uh, that I was definitely just on time at that point And I was every 30 minutes. So I didn't take the last gel because I was, you know, just about fen. I was like a little, I, I was about a mile away from the finish. And I believe that that cost me 20 to 30 seconds and cost me my PR that year, my course PR, you know, but I believe that fueling strategy gave me a six and a half minute course PR this year because I didn't have the training. Incredible. So, so I believe it was fueling. So first of all, congratulations on breaking Joni's record. Have you been in touch with uh, Joan Benoit Samuelson? Has she reached out to you? Or have you tried to reach out to her? No, I, I, I listen, she's the goat. Uh, there is. <laughs> um, what she has done for women and women's running. Um, she has led by example from, from the very beginning. I had the pleasure of, of, of running alongside her at one point um, during a, a 
Boston training run. I was actually running with Tracksmith and, and it was, um, it was, it was great. And I've, I've seen and talked to her at Falmouth before. Um, she's just, um, you know, we all bow to the queen. hundred <laughs> percent. Well, I'm sure the queen, I have no doubt that the queen would want to meet you, Heather. I mean, what you did is incredible. And, and the journey that you were on before breaking this record is makes it that much more meaningful. And there was something I wanted to ask you to close. And that is, there are a lot of injured runners out there. Injury is part of running. It's unfortunately part of the journey. And it's really easy to get into a really dark place and, and kind of give up. And I do believe there are a lot of folks out there who get injured and then stop running and never start again. So what advice do you have for people who are navigating injury right now that might feel like they're in a hopeless place? How, how would you um, advise them to be able to come out of that and keep the faith as you did? Um, the first thing I would do is say, talk to people. Um, you know, um, connectivity, um, you know, re reach out to people. I mean, social media can be a great tool in that, um, you know, DM and, and, you know, hope that somebody responds. I was looking desperately for people who were not just runners. I mean, I, I you know, it, you know, but high level runners um, and um, that had a similar experience. I think we want to, you know, I know this with people who suffer from illness and, and so forth. Um, we want people, we want to talk to people and connect with people who know what we're going through, have gone through what we're going through. And the other thing I would say, which is not different from when my mother was going through cancer is if you can find people, and this is what I did when, you know, when I was able to connect um, with, with, with someone who had seen Dr. Bayes, if you can find, find people that, that are running after injury. Um, and, you know, I mean, you need to find, you know, and in the case of can that are, that are survivors of cancer. And I, I think the power of positive thinking and positive people, um, in the context of, of, you know, horror, you know, in, you know, illness and injury that have been there um, because we do feel sometimes with certain, you know, there are people that they just don't know. So you need to find people that do know, I guess would be my, my best piece of advice and, and reach out to those people and to keep reaching out and to keep searching and to stay curious um, and, um, I, I just never settle. I love that. Never settle. And to that end, you've got a lot of great running ahead of you now that you're feeling better. So what's next for you? Mm, what's next? Um, my coach wants me to do some summer road racing. That scares me a little bit. Heat. <laughs> <laughs> but you can pick up some good prize money, I'll bet. So go yeah, for it. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see. We'll we'll see. We're 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 playing around with some of that. Um, and I, you know, again, you know, I think you we have to push outside our comfort zone. Um, and so I think it's important for me. I've not been somebody who's raced a lot. I've picked my races carefully. I believe, I believe wholeheartedly in 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 the work of training. Um, and I don't, I'm not a serial racer and I don't, I don't really subscribe to that. 
Um, I do have some athletes that like to do that and I try to be open-minded to it, but I don't, I don't think that that produces um, the best results. Um, but that's my own personal opinion, but I need, I think I need to do maybe a little more of it. Um, and so I think I will, I will try, um, you know, I usually run Falmouth, um, but I, I'm, I'm usually somebody who runs maybe four races a year, five, not, not a lot. So I'm not, you know, and, and, you know, so maybe we'll take it up a little bit. Um, we'll see that this, I don't love heat. Um, and so, um, it could be a game day decision. I could, you know, sign up and, and, you know, if it's, you know, it's going to be really hot at Brooklyn this weekend, <laughs> you know, I've got a bunch of people racing. That's going to be tough conditions. So, um, I, and I'm going to, um, I'm going to race a marathon in the fall. I will be back at Boston in, um, in, in April in 2023. Um, and, um, you know, hope to, um, continue, um, running strong there. Um, Wonderful. So can you share what race you're doing in the fall or have you not yet decided? Sure. I, I, I haven't said it out loud. I give it to you, Joe. I'm going to run Indianapolis. Oh, monumental. That's such a great yeah. race. And yeah. that's Matt does, Matt does a great job. And, um, and it's I'm your really previous PR. I'm, ex I'm, I'm excited to go back. Um, it's, it's a wonderful, the, the city is great. Um, Matt does an, a, a really, really, it's really well run. Um, it's a great course. Um, it's not flat, flat as everybody tells you it is. I, I, that's the first thing I said when I crossed the finish, when I ran it in November of, uh, 19, um, was that wasn't flat. Who told, who, who, who told <laughs> me that was flat? Um, but it is, um, but it's a good course. Um, we had, we had incredible wind in 19 and cold temperatures. It was 25 and degrees on the start and it was, and it was, and it was blowing on um, and that eventually it's an out and back. So that, that caught up with you as you fatigued, but, um, it's just, it's, it's, um, I'm, ex I, I'm just, I'm excited to go back. They, they're very supportive of me, um, and what I'm trying to do, which helps me do what I'd like to do. Absolutely. Well, we have no doubt that you will do some amazing things this year. And with the gratitude you have, it just makes your running that much better. And we have so much gratitude for you, Heather. You have been a role model to us. We love watching you run in your journey as well as your coaching journey. And we're just so grateful that you shared your story with us once again. So thank you for returning and for sharing your epic journey and heartfelt congratulations to you. What you did is truly amazing. Uh, Julie, thank you. I mean, what you and Lisa do, I, you know, we said this off air. Um, it, it, it feels, we've always felt a little bit like, like we line up well together yes. in, in, in what our principles, you know, and philosophies are. Um, I think what you do in your community um, is extraordinary and, and that you, um, that you lead, um, that you inspire, that you teach, um, and um, you know, because I think we should be lifelong learners, and you and Lisa are that, and you and you share that, and I think that that's really wonderful. Um, and I know the community, um, uh, you know, it, it, it applauds that. Thank you. That means so much to us, and we really appreciate that. So, Heather, in closing, we could talk forever, but. I just wish you continued success and all good things this summer and beyond. And uh, we really hope to see you next year at Boston. Okay.
All right. Take care, Heather. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryan. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.